It's because you're not oh, on a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> not on a mountain. Drinking mountain whiskey with other See, mountain See, they know men. their demographic, don't they? Doing mountain stuff. And any second, this turns into Breakback Mountain. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so sorry about the last episode, dude. I got sick as fuck the next day. I was really worried. No, yeah. you were sick that night. Very I was so worried so. for you. Yeah. You sounded awful. Yeah. <laughs> More awful than usual. Wait, you're talking yeah. about last week's, right? Quality control. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm almost, like, I just, well, I only, the reason I said it is because I'm like, man, I, that Thursday, I went into work the next day and I was like, no, I'm like, I am worthless. Yeah. So I came home and I slept for like, 11 hours. Then you went to Eddie Fitz. <laughs> yeah, and then I woke up real early in the morning, got on a plane, and flew to Cleveland. Because, you know, why? nothing like flying to Cleveland <laughs> in November. <laughs> do you want to know why? Do you really want to know why, Brian? I do. I always want to know why. Tell me more. Actually, I think you told me, but I didn't listen, so. Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, let me tell you again so you don't listen <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, What's your, that? Get your earbuds <laughs> in. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, I didn't tell you about that trip that I take in on the 10th of November every year. You did. Oh, okay. Well, cool. Just then sick. we'll just skip that story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you mentioned it briefly, but I'm totally drawing a blank. Are you familiar I, I think... with the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? Yes. Okay. Are you familiar with the Gordon Lightfoot song, which is arguably more important? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is anyone familiar uh, with the yes. wreck and doesn't know the Gordon Lightfoot song? I, I hope not. Because he is keeping that legend alive. <laughs> it's just Gordon Lightfoot. He's the only one. He forgets that he made the song, but he knows. Yeah, anyways, one time, a long time ago, now about eight years ago, uh, we were sitting at the house that I owned in Pittsburgh, and we were just cooking out, and it was like a Sunday and we're like, hey, you know what? We should go to Great... Meth? Are we talking meth? No, no. We're like slow smoking meat like adults. Okay. Um, I slow smoke meth. Because <laughs> only children slow cook smoke meth? It. Is, that, yeah. is that the indication? Yeah. <laughs> you graduate from meth to a pork shoulder. <laughs> it's the American way. Anyways, uh, someone's like, we should go to Great Lakes Brewing and like tour the brewery and drink a bunch of Edmund Fitzgerald porters on the anniversary of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And... So we did in the first year. I can't remember how many one of us. I have the original picture somewhere, but like, uh, and we drank twenty nine of these porters between us for the twenty nine well the twenty nine men that died on the ship, and then we continued to drink too. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that was like uh, seven years ago. So every year we do it now, like, and it's great because you know I've lived in Oregon and Nashville and Louisville and New Orleans. So it's nice that, you know, once a year I'm like gonna see some of these people that this is when I see them and it's at the anniversary of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's beautiful. Which is really just a bunch of old dudes now. Um I mean Friday I was still kinda sick this last one, so I, I was like, Yeah, yeah, I'm going to bed at eight thirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and, but we really just play a bunch of Gordon Lightfoot and drink <laughs> and eat tasty foods. Which Cleveland actually isn't that bad of a city. It's it has some things to offer, like crime and murder. I hear that's actually those are separate things. <laughs> yeah, that's on their billboard when you drive into the city. Yeah. It's actually not that bad of a city. That's their main <laughs> selling point. As far as Ohio cities go, pff, forget about <laughs> it. It's my favorite Ohio city. Forget about it. So yeah, that's what I did this past. Week. And this episode of Still Talking Podcast Fine. is brought to you city by, of Cleveland. by Cleveland. <laughs> crime and murder. No, the only thing that's brought to you by Cleveland is depression. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Still Talking Podcast with Colton Zeno and myself, Brian. I didn't even include my last name this time. You don't guys. know who you are. Today we're talking about marketing. And I swear to God, if Woo! we talk about millennials and how to sell to women for the next hour, I'm fucking going to lose my shit. Pink jeans for millennials. And, you know, I love that we're doing this topic because I'm like, hey, here's something I shouldn't talk about. <laughs> Well, okay, we should acknowledge that we talk about marketing almost every single week, like whether it's innovation, uh, innovation versus marketing, what tastes like marketing, how we should market, whether small distilleries are market focused. I mean, that's pretty much 20% of every conversation we have. So it is good. Uh, that we yeah, I think we've, a little bit. we've mentioned also every week, 
no matter how good your juice is, if you can't market it, mm-hmm. you know, go go back to something else. It doesn't is, matter at all. Why does everyone call it juice? Like why why is that why was that slang? Why did that What's come a better about? what's a what what should we start? Liquid. Like why if your liquid's sauce. good sauce. I like sauce. Your sauce. <laughs> wet substance. <laughs> your sauce. No matter how good your wet substance is. Now you're just talking about my pants. <laughs> <laughs> because I spilled tea on them cuz I'm an idiot. Okay, so let me sorry to derail us like that. But I do like when people say juice it was it's just been it's been a thing fairly, I would say, in the last eight years. It makes us sound hip and cool. Yeah, and yeah. we are super hip. Let's talk about hipsters. They love to buy things. They love well, I mean, yeah, let's market Let's market towards the people that would find words like the juice. The um, juice. Wait, that just makes me OJ. I don't know if that's cool. <laughs> you know what? I bet that brand would sell. I don't know. What, what year are millennials? I think Colton's the only official millennial. That's true. Uh, you and I are technically, uh, we're called Oregon Trail Millennials. Bullshit. Yeah. We're like Gen X or something. No, no. We're Z, right on the cusp. Z. 82 is when Millennials like start. When do they stop? Eight, no, maybe year, it's or? 80. 80 or 82. Uh, they <laughs> haven't stopped yet. No, they just, it's, it's that big. Now, what are they calling the next generation? I mean, we should know this, but <laughs> I think they're calling them the next generation. <laughs> Star Trek. Should wait, should we know this? Is that something I should know? <laughs> I, I feel like it's a thing we should know, like culturally. Uh, no, uh, I don't, I don't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, as far as marketing goes, uh, yeah. whether it's, whether it's towards women or next generation, um, the only two groups you could market to, though. <laughs> no, the way I thought the way I, the way I thought of it is like I, I think that so many people take so many different approaches to it too, right? Like not the size of your company, how much money you're going to put into it. Some people, this is like their passion project, so they don't really even allocate anything for marketing, but they still have a market because you have to. You can't just be like, well, I'm going to make good liquid, and people are going to come to me. Listen, yeah. I've been trying that model. Yeah. It doesn't work. Well, first off, you have to make good liquid. I believe they call it juice or moist solvent. <laughs> moist solvent. Oh, moist solvent. Um, so, I, I mean, that's kind of what I was looking at. It was like the scale of marketing. I mean, obviously, a lot of companies put a lot of their efforts and capital into marketing. But like, what if you can't, what can you do that are like, it's low hanging fruit. And like, Brian, I'm actually looking at this because we talked a lot about, um, our solvent, would you call Mm -hmm. it moist solvent? We've been talking about moist solvent a lot on the last few episodes. I like to mix it up with something that, you know, something else I don't know about. (laughs) (laughs) So that's actually how to sell the moist solvent. Yes. That's, that's all something we don't know. But no, I mean like your magazine, you are, you are essentially, marketing incarnate but is like, so i guess you is brian's i just see a magazine when i look at the screen is brian's magazine marketing oh, to you. the consumer or is it marketing you know right it's marketing to distillers is it marketing well, wait wait brian is your okay. is your magazine marketing let's ask like let's ask no that's question. a great question so there's kind of two components to what i do for a publication i've got my audience and then i've got my customers right so Really, and this is, this goes back to the internet in a certain way, but really, I guess my product are my readers. If you think about it, it's, yeah. that's what inter, you know. The internet has basically said, like Facebook, their user base is actually is what they're selling because they're selling it to advertisers. So the way I monetize is primarily through advertising. Now, granted, I do a couple of things that leave a lot of money on the table because I don't do advertorials. Uh, I don't let people actually pay for content; they can only buy ads. But essentially, I'm selling my readership base because that's what most magazines have to do. So I have readership, which are distillers, producers, employees, industry professionals. Those are the people that want to read the magazine. So to maximize the value of the publication, I do things like make sure I have high quality, make sure it's pretty to look at, great photos, good content. I don't do advertorials, so you guys actually trust the shit that we're writing about. So that makes the readers want to pick it up. And so that's that's the value. Like The actual readers who are producers will pick it up, look at the magazine, and it has their eyes on it. So then I make my money by selling ads to vendors. And those are the people that want to get in front of those eyes. 
So the eyes are the product, right? And then the vendors are the ones buying space in front of those eyes because they want to sell you a still, they want to sell you consulting, they want to sell you, uh, you know, fermentation equipment, yeast, all these things. So they that's want to how sell you a mediocre podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. A really, really subpar, vulgar podcast that occasionally has um, sprigs of entertainment value in it. So essentially, that's so publishing is a little different than, than, dis- than distilling. Trying to sell moist solvent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but so I guess I'm kind of in two worlds there. And I, I'm being very honest when I say that, that the eyes, the readers are the actual product itself in a lot of ways. But and again, I if I was to sell advertorials, I could make a shit ton more money, but I don't think as many people would pick it up and actually read it. Hmm. So that's kind of my pitch on on the media side. And again, a lot of online companies don't do that because they can't because the space is so competitive. And it's so hard to compete online. You have to do things like paid advertorials, paid, they call it sponsored content. I'm in a very niche market where my readers are super, super targeted. It's actually people that make alcohol. And so I can be a little more discerning and have a All higher so, quality product. So moving on to distillers and producers. Right. How do, how do they find okay, their so let me segue in. Let- audience, which are drinkers, right? Right. Right. That's actually what exactly. I was going to ask is how does that apply to, to anyone that would <laughs> possibly stumble upon this podcast by accident? So the key thing about marketing that crosses any industry demographic, the thing that they can learn from a publisher is hyper focus on what your market is. Who are you selling to? So we all know that we're trying to sell moist solvent, but who are we selling that moist solvent to? <laughs> I know. I love that you're cringe every time. It's, yeah. it's my favorite. It's just so, really bad. So that's what that's when you know it works is when you can hyper focus on who your customer base is, who your demographic is, to use marketing speak. Because if you can do that, you minimize how much money so, you have to throw out there. Because if you buy a billboard, you know, if you just buy a billboard on the road, a lot of people can actually get value out of billboards, oddly enough, especially if it's hyper local. But you have to make sure is that your demographic who's driving by it? You know, you can't just throw a billboard up in your backyard hoping that that will be your audience, even though your distillery is right across the street. You have to find out what time, you know, what time of day is this road traveled on? You know, who's actually seeing it? Will they be the ones that I'm trying to market to? I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but essentially that's the goal is you have to figure out what your key market is so that you make every dollar count when you're trying to so, advertise. To and them. obviously this whole episode comes with a giant disclaimer that we know nothing as do all episodes uh would right. you say I that think that's, the, I, yeah that's our new intro we is the most valuable you know <laughs> yeah. if you only have you know a hundred dollars to spend do you spend it on the actual ad itself or do you spend it on market research to find out who your audience is it sounds to me like it's better find out who your audience is and then figure out the free ways to get to them versus mass. I'd say it's not mutually exclusive. I mean, if you you know if that's your budget, if it's a hundred dollars, mm. then spend maybe sixty dollars writing a new business plan. On, <laughs> right, I'm writing a new business plan. You take the extra forty from your investors. You 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 know you uh, you steal it. Yeah. You run away to Cabo on your forty bucks. What if it's a hundred and four dollars? <laughs> Well, good because you got to pay taxes too. Don't forget yeah, okay. that. So. What about, okay, what about one hundred and six? Yeah. Are you trying to sell me on something? Because yeah. I'm buying. That's all very. It's very all very broad though. It's like sure. casting a wide net. So, like, say you know, it's my passion project. I worked my whole life, and I'm finally making a product. And I'm like, cool. I had enough capital, whether it be at investors or I just worked my whole life. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to open up my own distillery. And I want, I'm really proud of this product. I want to get it out to people. What is something, where do I even begin? Where, how do I find out who I want to sell it to, right? So I think for a craft, and I would personally back up a little, I would say, and this is not true for everyone, but I think it, it's, it holds true for a lot of people in our industry that start smaller operations is they start with, what do I want to drink? What do I want to make? Right? I mean, that's part of the passion of our industry. So they make a product that they or their friends want to drink. So then I think you can actually use that as kind of your starting point. Okay, who are you? Who you know? Who are your peers? And then build out from that. Yikes. What's that? I said yikes. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to look at me like, who am I? 
Who would? I don't want to sell to me. I don't even want anything to do with me. This is the existential podcast. But no, I think that is part of it. Is if you're the one making a product you want to drink, then you have to find out why do I want to drink that? What other? What are my peers? And how would you know? How do they find that kind of product? So let's just let's let's pick out some random product. Like let's say Aquavit. Aquavit is super niche, kind of weird, not super well known in the U.S. Some people really love it. So if you're gonna make an Aquavit, that's a really targeted market. Who do you sell it to? It's probably not just gonna be a bunch of college students, right? You know, who makes an Aquavit and then who will buy that? It, who buys it twice? <laughs> right. right? Like, yeah. So I guess you'd have to look. Aquavit can be seen as a European cultural type, you know, product. So maybe yeah. you try and identify. Maybe it's seasonal. You know, maybe it's bought at certain holidays for certain family get-togethers. Maybe you can market it to those subgroups. And on the one hand, like Colton brought up a really good point, how much free marketing can you get? Because that only takes you so far, but it's a really important starting point. Yeah, but I think what you're, you're pointing out is like understand your demographic, right? And even yeah. if that demographic is like, well, I love whatever, bourbon cream. So mm. who am I <laughs> that I love bourbon cream? I don't think you want to ask this <laughs> question. What am I doing with myself and... How did I upgrade from this rapey basement to like a moderately looking average living room area? Um, I will say it does look like you're losing plants each week. So he's slowly killing them. I've never watered a plant in my life. They I've never bought a plant in my life. These are all either. I assume my wife, my wife, my wives, my My wife bring in. (laughs) Well, how do you think I have so many kids? I mean, 87 kids for one woman. That's torture. That's like a prototype fan you have back there, though. It's like the first fan. Uh, like Amelia Earhart made that fan. Yes. Yes, um, it is. It's actually taken from the propeller of her. That's why I didn't make it too soon. Too soon? That's why she crashed. Oh. oh. I don't know. Where did we get? Where were we going with this? Where was I going with this? Something oh, yeah, about demographics. Like knowing your demographics. All right. Let's not even go bourbon cream. Let's go uh, even... even if you make something that you're proud of, you think that other people are going to appreciate it too. But I guess, how do you, how do you find those people without that self-reflection? They're like, okay. Or do you just say, well, it's my age range. It's you know, my sex. It's right. It's my facial hair orientation. That's a thing now. What? I don't know what that means. Is that like <laughs> facial hair orientation? Right? <laughs> you know well, what I'm saying? It's like, so yeah, no. like, do you just like, okay, well, I'm 35, so probably everyone, you know, I would have liked this when I was 25, and I think I'll probably like it when I'm 45. So you're like 25, 45, male. Yeah. Can you take as broad strokes like that? No, I think that's the best way to break it down. I mean, it's, in some ways it overly simplifies it, but yeah, I mean, you have to look at the, what is the purchasing power too? So that's, that's, you brought up a good point is you have your demographic, but then you have to identify what is the purchasing power of that demographic. So you have, if you have a very, very, very niche demographic, like let's pick on distillers, most craft distillers don't have a lot of disposable income. So they, you know, they have to be very careful with what they buy for their business. So if we're looking at consumers... No, the, the once an episode, oh, Brian Freeze. I feel like there should be like a fancy <laughs> jingle here and yeah. you and I should just talk. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Sorry, I'm back. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, damn it. Episode damn ruined. It. You ruined our fancy jingle talk time. Sorry. Oh, we should get that segment sponsored. Fancy jingle talk time. <laughs> we should. That'd be amazing. Fancy jingle talk time is brought to you by Amelia Earhart fans. Yeah. Feel like an original with Amelia Earhart fans. Wow, that's rough. I totally lost my train of thought now. Shit. What was I saying prior something, to the Amelia Something Earhart. about marketing. Terrible so. jokes. Oh, was, it, was it well done, Colton? Thank you for your contribution to this conversation. No, you were talking about like, uh, well, because I was kind of pointing out, I'm trying to dig deeper. Like, oh, how, do you, yeah, like how do you find your demographic? Easy. Like, how do you pinpoint it down without taking super broad strokes? Right. And, and not having capital. You're like, oh, you know, so, craft distillers don't have capital. That can right. be like, I can do so, tests. I can go in a mall because that's a thing with a little you know clipboard and say would you like to take a survey and then you eat right. a popsicle in a little room i feel like the mall like is literally the worst right. place to advertise for craft spirits 
Okay. Yeah, yes. <laughs> okay, you just fucked up Zeno's yeah. entire marketing campaign. Well, Way to go. leaving New Orleans. You could have told him three weeks ago. <laughs> Project <laughs> yeah. over. He's on the next bus. Uh, full disclosure, Colton is the only person that takes everything <laughs> literal that I say. Right. No, so I was talking about purchasing power. So the reason I bring that ah, up is because yes. we've just been, uh, we talk about, you know, we joke about millennials, but there's another, uh, there's a there's an acronym now for, I think it's called Henry's. And that's, I shouldn't say now, it's just I've learned about it. It's uh, high earning, not rich yet. And it's basically people who are around, you know, the, you know, certain age range, you know, 30 to 40, they're making anywhere from a hundred to $250,000 a year. They have really high earning potential and spending potential, but they're not technically considered rich yet. So that's a whole nother demographic that you could argue that's one of the driving forces behind, uh, the premium and super premium growth in our industry. Cause, um, one of the studies I just looked at that just came out not too long ago, uh, they essentially pointed out that those are the categories growing in the what's you know the um, the economy class the low end spirits those are year after year dropping like the actual sales volume is continuing to decrease at a pretty steady decline so we're looking at if you're going to sell spirits in our industry you really should be premium or super super premium price point which is like twenty five dollars and up I think I might be getting my stats wrong on that but. okay so wait so now that granted that this is awesome because. First off, I was going to make an O. Henry candy bar <laughs> joke, but I've already lost it lost all of its moxie when I just said that. Um, but you're saying like, okay, so you're it's super premium. How do you market that without price point? Price point intrinsically is part of the marketing. Sure, but so can you not be super premium at seventeen? Seventeen age or seventeen? Yeah, seventeen dollars. Seventeen. <laughs> Years old. We're not talking about the people Zeno <laughs> dates, Colton. We're talking about products that we drink. No, so when we're, and again, we're talking pure statistics here. So yes, you could have a product that's positioned as a premium product, but sold at a lower price point. But why would you do that? Because then all you're doing is you're shrinking your own margins. Because for a premium product, we're talking about certain expectations like packaging. So you have to package it in a way that looks premium, super premium, and that costs money. So that's that's an additional cost you're going to incur to do that. You're also marketing it in a certain way for consumer expectation. And if they go into a store and they expect a premium product that's, you know, it's going to be twenty five dollars more and it's at seventy dollars on the price or on the shelf, that causes consumer confusion. So in their mind, they're like, well, is it really premium if it's seventeen dollars and it's not just a sale thing? That's you, you have expectations as consumers. But I think leaning on that as price as as being, uh, you know, synonymous with super premium is, and is, that's not accurate because if I look at some lower end, like, oh, here's a two year or one year small barrel aged bourbon, and then here is Buffalo Trace, and Buffalo Trace is 30. I don't even know what bottle of Buffalo Trace costs anymore, but. It's that, and then that other one is like seventy. But I think if you if right. you have That's... already categorized yourself in craft, you know you've already marketed that you don't have the economy of scale to make a thirty-four dollar, you know, bourbon, right? So just by just by you know putting putting yourself out there That's as a fair, craft the... spirit, you're expected to be higher quality, and you're expected to be. You know, a little more, ex- a right. little more expensive. But I'm for saying that, the, you know, small batch feel. The price range, though, the price range of let's even say craft whiskeys, they're all over the place. They're all yeah. they're all over the place. They so that they're all in the premium. It's very few. There's very few they craft, are in the premium craft whiskeys that are below premium, right? So. Because even as a cr- even if you're sourcing the product, it's incredibly hard to source a product and get the price low enough to still have a margin that makes you money. Because the cost of sourced products is so high right now. Well, yeah, and I mean, what what did you say? Twenty five and up is premium. I mean, just to get. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I'll I'll have to I'll try and track down the actual numbers here so we can actually pretend like we know. What we're no, 
But yeah, there's this like, no, we're just going to make it up. $7,000, I believe, is the starting point for most craft whiskeys. And that's considered premium. Well, as a Henry, I would say that's a good choice. You would be a fucking Henry. I just learned this term now. Right? I don't think I have enough money to be a Henry. I'm just a guy who spends money frivolously. Good enough. on, On things that he doesn't need. Well, I mean, but Brian, if what you're saying... I mean, not what you're saying, what the the research is saying that the, you know, mm-hmm. low end uh, spirits are going down every year. It's not like there's, yep. you know, the, there's not Henry's going up and up and up every year. So I think even lower income people are buying more premium spirits, just drinking less. But I think we called a couple of things out in that too, and that was, you're saying you're spending the money on your packaging. So there's premiumization with packaging, and what are you doing, Brian? Should to ignore me? Yeah. I am trying to pull up data and statistics. I'm yeah. still here. It I literally just you to it look looks at my like chest. that he's yeah. pulling Sorry data and statistics like off his bookshelf. <laughs> he just yeah. has a folder that says data and statistics. <laughs> <laughs> actually like, the subheading is yeah. things i made up he's like hold on look into my nipples and then uh, i'm looking at this really good article that's about to be published in this really high-end industry magazine <laughs> you assholes <laughs> it's my magazine uh, yeah <laughs> marketing yeah, kind of guessed that <laughs> yeah anyways you no you you were saying so like there's packaging so, so i think that yeah. you kind of also said that there's a way to marketing right there's a marketing technique that just very much you actually did come out and say that that your very price point is part of your marketing strategy yeah oh i was just gonna say so year over year dollar growth for premium and ultra premium categories was 4.4 percent and 5.1 percent respectively so that's basically that's when we talk about the trend towards premiumization that's what we mean is that those categories are continuing to grow statistically year over year And so, but like, okay, so then the other values are, or the other categories, there's value, mid, premium, ultra, and those are essentially kind of agreed upon four categories for our industry. And so value products are literally less than $10. Uh, Mid-range products are $10 to $15, premium are $15 to $25, and ultra are $25 plus. And so these these statistics are taken from uh, the Nielsen dollar growth by price category. So these are Nielsen. And those are, uh, those data are all points. for seven fifty bottles. I'm assuming, yeah. Yes, yeah, seven fifty bottles. Correct. And this is over a fifty two week period that ended on October sixth. So value products declined by four and a half percent. Mid range products declined by three and a half percent. Premium grew by four point four, and ultra grew by five point one. So that's when we're talking about price categories and trying to identify what we're going to sell. That's what we mean. And I think what Colton's point, and he's right, craft intrinsically has to fall into premium and ultra premium because of the economies of scale. It's You're not going to see a craft product for 14 bucks on the shelf. It's really, really rare. Well, I don't ever want to admit that Colton's <laughs> right. Yeah, it just... We'll so just... don't. We should just end the podcast <laughs> now. Closing thoughts. End yeah. thoughts. Fake final thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> I never get it right. No, I just added the grumble with the final thoughts now there. I just wanted to get right to it. Uh, honestly, we should quit because that's the most statistics and data we've ever had. I know, and I feel yeah. real gross about it. I'm super sorry, guys. You are. It was real slutty. If you want, I can slutty. even throw more statistics about actual uh, product trends and categories. I can tell you, like, the growth. He's, of got, a lot of, he's got a lot of graphs no. in his uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to make you folder. read an article in a really high-end magazine. Why don't you save that for our up-and-coming tequila episode? I will. Actually, no. Seriously, if anyone wants a tip. Get into tequila, it's stupid high. Although you can't really because there's no agave anymore. <sighs> Man, so it kind of depends on what you can invest into it. And you're like, okay, I got my price point. I feel like we should have just done an exercise. Like, let's pick a product and market it. Right. Bourbon cream. Yeah. No, I think that's... It's going to yeah. sell because it's so amazing. Obviously, like, it sells right, itself. So Done. First, End of podcast. First you say, all right, what season is bourbon cream bought? Summer, July fourth. Right. <laughs> Wait, you're not making it all year round? Like, 
I know, you will, but there will be a, a, a peak season. An August <laughs> afternoon when I'm coming out from the fields. <laughs> Do you work in the fields a lot? I just want a nice tall glass of bourbon cream. Don't knock Warm. it, man. That stuff on ice is delicious. Warm bourbon cream. <laughs> Been sitting in the back of your pickup truck. I like truck. to leave it in the sun and the <laughs> dashboard of my truck. Turn from the field and just slurp it down. Nothing finer. Thanks for using slurp. <laughs> Anytime you can work that in. <laughs> Anytime you can slurp down some nice moist solvents. Woo yeah. diggity. Put That's that good. cream That's... right down your gullet. That's a humdinger right there. Yeah. Nothing like coming from the field to getting some hot cream right down your gullet. Uh, thanks for sticking with us, listener. No, we lost them. <laughs> yeah, in all seriousness, though. All right, so don't use bourbon cream. Let's use gin. Let's yeah, I use, actually uh, think the harder, like the harder ones, are yeah. the ones that everyone has, right? Yeah, London Dry Gin. London Dry Gin. Yeah. How do I? How the hell do I market that? So, what is bartenders? My price? You have to talk to bartenders if you're doing a gin. That means you're going to have to sell it in a cocktail. Very few people are going to drink it neat. So you've got to pre-plan how does it mix well in certain cocktails. You then have to educate bartenders and retailers basically how the hell to serve that and how to talk about it. And you have to build those local relationships so you can start building out basically cocktail programs. That's that's a gin. You have to do that. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to sell it. And then in your own tasting room, let's say you're in a state that won't let you do cocktails. That's a lot harder so you're going to have to figure out really inventive ways to express to your clientele how they can mix it. Give them little cards that, you know, tell them how to mix it. Maybe bring some of the botanicals and some of the other products in that you can't necessarily mix, but you can have them have a sensory analysis where they smell it. They so taste just, it to get just an idea. So just build your story. If that makes any sense. Right. You got to build your story. Right. And that's cliche, but it's super true. Once you've identified your demographic, what kind of product you're going to sell to them, you got to have that story. What do you price it at? I mean, it depends on your cost, well, right? Cocktail. Say you're making it. Say you're making it from GNS. You're buying bulk GNS, and you're right. doing a maceration, but a re, in a redistillation. So there right. is some. You're going to be at the bottom end of the the ultra premium, hopefully, if you can do it. <laughs> hey, there's a pretty lady behind me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, take uh. over. Um, they're done listening to me. Say hi. Tell to us me. about marketing. No, get, get your head over here. Uh, no. There's no marketing. <laughs> She's like, God, did you see that Zeno guy? I don't want to talk to him. Hey, Zeno wants to say hi to you. He likes okay, you. He likes you way more than me. Don't put this on the thing. Yeah. So what are you guys talking about today? Uh, marketing. We're talking about marketing. A lot of marketing. And also uh, like But you have to categories. be, uh, I mean, you're still involved in it. You have to be the face and go to tasting events and stuff. So, I mean, you're doing a form of marketing with that. I love that you think that I'm the face of anything. And you're looking at my face. Right you don't know what Brian has on his screen. <laughs> the food bank? Yeah. Uh, I think I already went through our our uh, cupboards for that. Just a second. I like how Amanda's like, well, you guys have to be part of it. You're, you know, <laughs> yeah. the face. The face like, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> uh, now, in, in all seriousness, though, you are part of it. it like, you have to be. You're, well, we are. You're, like, you're making the product, so... Ultimately, that has to happen. But let's go back to this gin exercise, right? right? And, and full disclosure, I'm drinking gin neat right now. So all you like people don't drink gin neat. That yeah, is, I yeah, no, I think eat it's my ass the, because I do. The sentence still stands: people don't eat, don't don't drink gin. People, neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people do not. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, my my neat gin is delicious. Neat gin is delicious. Everyone here on this podcast, the three of us, do drink neat gin. I would say the vast majority of your consumers that you're trying to make money off of when they go into a bar do not drink a lot of neat gin. That's fair. That's fair. It's like gin and tonics or some cocktail. Right. You're right. Negronis or, you know, whatever you're going to go with. So you have to identify how it will be served. And then, again, that's part of finding your market demographic, right? And then once you do that, you have to make it as easy for the people selling the drinks as possible. So that's the education. So there's market demographic research, identifying who your target is. And then actually training the people who will be your point of sale. But okay, so distillation from grain neutral spirit maceration. Right. You know, this isn't considering 
raw material costs and anything like that. But like, what would you think about is like, okay, this is a marketable price. And <clears throat> let's be honest, there's a lot of freaking craft gins out there. Yeah. It's actually a really decent growing category. So what's a competitive, where would that price range? Like where, what would you guys say? Like, what are you, yeah. What are you willing to spend on a bottle of gin, craft gin? I, I don't buy alcohol. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I don't, I, I That's don't one think of the reasons I'm in this business, so people don't mail me booze. Test subjects, because I don't, you know, we we no. don't listen to the story as much as right. All right, you guys can't fucking think outside of the box. So, what would you <laughs> expect people to pay for a bottle of gin, craft gin? So, I think you uh, there's two things there that you have to break down. One, there's the actual on the retail shelf bottle of, or price of gin, but then there's also the distribution price of gin. Basically, what are the retailers buying it? What's the retail value or the, uh, I should say the wholesale value. What are they buying it at? Because they have to make their margins. And that's some, those are two different price points that you have to identify. And part of that will be your distribution costs, what kind of points they're putting on it, all that kind of stuff. On the shelf, it, it is kind of hard to get $25 for a gin. So Right, you but you look, to, at, you look at something like in the ultra category. So this is kind of re, what, what Colton was saying is applicable to whiskey. Sure, you can't not be in that higher, that upper echelon of price point for right. premium, right? Like, I totally agree with you. You're right. But, like, in gin, it's that weird space. But then you have, like, a Monkey 47, right? Which is, like, $7 billion for a 375. And, but also not craft, right. right? Right. And, you know, in theory. Okay. In theory, right. But... Okay, so, so where do so you go? So let's pick like, some of our favorite gins. Like what, uh, Colton and I both really love Aria gin. You know, out of well, Portland. what the <laughs> fuck do you think I'm drinking right now? Are you really drinking Aria? That's amazing. Yeah, but he hates They're fantastic. It, so. so he hates them personally. They're just terrible people. Yeah, Ryan is a dick. <laughs> That's just because you slept with him. Yeah, well, or I tried. <laughs> or I tried. So, but they've they really worked to make sure their price per bottle was lower than what most craft, yeah. what people would expect from craft. And I, I don't know off the top of my head what the actual price is. Colton, do you know? Do you guys know? But it's but it's definitely. I don't know. I didn't pay for this bottle. <laughs> right? None of it. Yeah, we never pay for it. We're awful yeah. friends. Um, but they. That's one thing Ryan talked about because he comes from the bartending side. He was a bartender for years, and he needed to make sure that it was at a value that a bartender would be willing to put it on their craft or on their uh, cocktail menu, you know, make it, you know, the mainstay. And so that did have to come in at a certain price level. What that is, is dependent on your area. I mean, Portland, that's still higher than what you're going to find in, you know, some, you know, in Spokane, Washington. That's that's great. There's one problem is that, you know, Aria is specifically gin. That's what they make. Their entire business model is based off of producing gin. So they can cut those costs where they need to, where, you know, with a lot of craft guys who end up making gin, you know, to feed their whiskey program, you know, they have higher costs elsewhere. So they're trying to make it back up in the gin. How do you market your higher, you know, your higher price gin that way? Right. And that's why, that's, that's why I was kind of just trying to, you know, dig this out of each one of us where he's like, well, what is the expectation? And, our expectations obviously are different. I'm like, here I am. I'm like, drink this. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't pay for this bottle. I don't know what I would pay for it. But I know what I have paid for bottles of gin because right. my wife loves gin. And I'm like, good <laughs> Lord, that's expensive gin. And I end up buying it anyways because I'm like, well, I still want to try it. Like, Gin's delicious. So there's like, it's one of those weird, so I, I, you know, where your product lands. And I think really with gin, that's one of the ones where you're absolutely right, Brian. You got to lean in those bartenders too. I think like in knowing that demographic and the craft cocktails and the high-end cocktail bars and what they're blending it and how they're making it and what they're nerding out about and telling people and getting real esoteric and douchey with. They're like, yeah. look, I lit this gin drink on fire with, you know, these two pennies. Um, so <laughs> in, inside a bag. Uh, so like From across drink, the room. Drink this cocktail. It's made with. You know, so that's a really good point. So, you know, Alyssa's a big gin drinker. Are distillery gin producers specifically, are they marketing to her or are they marketing to bartenders? And then bartenders are, you know, helping pass that 
that knowledge along. How how often is she drinking a gin that she hasn't tried, or buying a gin that she hasn't tried through a bar? That when she goes into a a liquor store and looks at the gin shelf, is it ever, oh, this is a new one I haven't seen before, or is it, oh, I, I tried this in a cocktail. Pretty often, I now I want to buy the whole bottle. It's actually the former more often than it is the latter. Yeah, is that was that your point? No, it was actually like the opposite okay. of my point. Okay. But, but that's fine. Uh, uh, no, she like I mean, it was a no, question. I, so I, I can honestly really not point. tell you. A, uh, no, uh, I can't. <laughs> I can't honestly tell you a time that she had gin in a cocktail and was like, "Oh, I had this this time." It's more of like, "Oh, here's this one, and this sounds good based on the botanicals that are in it, or it's from this place, or." And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times it's not a craft one. It's a, you know, one from the UK where it's like has some kind of weird botanical twist to it. Like back to the story, yeah. right? Right. Which is marketing, right? Like, so there's exactly it's a, it's a weird space. Gin's a weird space. So I don't know why, <laughs> you know, use that as an example because bourbon <laughs> cream wasn't hitting. People still market that <laughs> because we already agreed that everyone will intrinsically yeah. buy bourbon cream. Like yeah. it sells itself. It's delicious. We should all have it in our bodies. I said that just for Zeno. What? In our bodies? Yeah, I did. You're welcome. Yeah. I love how infantile you think my mind is. And then what I love I do, even I more don't think it is, is that how know. infantile you know my mind is. Exactly. That's why I love you, buddy. Marketing is hard. That's why we don't do it. It is. Marketing is... That's why you don't do it. Which is why we're talking You know who does do marketing, though? (laughs) It's High Proof Creative, guys. (laughs) Uh, Our friends at High Proof Creative do know marketing. And thankfully, they do, because the three of us have only a vague idea of what the term even means. High Proof... What... What is High Proof Creative, and how do I find out more about them? Because you guys are really losing me right now. <laughs> I love that we pretend we know less about them every time we bring them up in the podcast. In all fairness, I'm like a weird Benjamin Button. So, like, I am forgetting things at an alarming rate because I'm getting younger and older by the second. How do you find them? Seriously. Well, yeah, you go to highproofcreative.com. They will do your marketing. They will do auditing for your website. No, serious question, though. So th- we already know they do a lot of online work for us. Uh, they've helped us with our search engine optimization. They've helped us with uh, highlighting good content to put out in terms of the online side. On the actual marketing, talking about demographics, talking about how to reach those demographics, what kind of work did they do to help? Well, with yeah, that? I mean, that was that was part of our whole sort of website and podcast audit where they went in and found what our demographics for who our listeners are turns out there's only one so <laughs> it was really easy <laughs> and it's us all right it's yeah. just us and it's only us, one but... of the three of us listens yeah. to the podcast <laughs> who they are how and you know even went farther like what the best suggestions to reaching them are and you know is it social media is it you know print is it you know telegrams whatever the best way they'll find it for us Telegrams, huh? Is that do you not get a lot Carrier of uh, advertisement through Telegram? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you did. That's you had to tell that's what it was. That was high proof creative knocking on Brian's door. Oh yeah. And they wanted food for a can- food bank because that's they're, how much they care. So like, can we get a can of beans? We're trying to get this social media thing going. Karen's a cool lady. Thanks yeah. for taking care of us, high proof creative. Thanks, Karen. You are worth many cans of beans. <laughs> All right, so back to our gin example. Uh, I think we pretty much hit that one pretty well. That you know you have to have, you know, you got to talk to the the retailer side. You got to talk to the point of sale. I mean, you can go further than that, but I think we've summed that up pretty well. Do we have any other any other thoughts in terms of that case study, or do we want to go down any other route the on the marketing side? Because I mean, we could get into all sorts of stuff with actually different types of marketing, ad buys, things like that. But I don't know if we want to get too into it this episode. No, I don't think that we're going to get down in the weeds that much. But I do think that something that you were saying, too, it's like, you know, if you can compartmentalize your approach to it to like, okay, on-premise, off-premise, right, demographic, and then then it's like a Venn diagram where all those are in the middle, right, where those connect. 
And you're like, okay, so how do I reach them? What's the best? Like, so, you know, if you're trying to reach us, um, probably the best thing to do is send me a telegram, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> like, that's, that's what we uh, learned from our audience. I mean, you're, you're not going to get me on Facebook because I don't have a Facebook. Uh, right. So you have to know, but I, I guess people with people, most people my age have Facebook. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, I yes, mean, Oregon so Trail, what, millennial, you should have a Facebook. What I'm hearing from when I talk to, you know, distributors and sales guys or social media is where most of their money is going, right? Most of, most of the ad money. It's, it's, it's not, media. you know, it used to be print ads and, you know, sorry, Brian, but uh, the money no, no, is No, so leaving. that brings up a really good point, like. Well, no, that that goes to like print ads. Even you've TV. got print ads, you've got yeah. billboards, you've got, you know, what we would call traditional media, even commercials, right? You know, commercials for TV segments. That's becoming rarer and rarer. And the key is it can work sometimes in really, really niche scenarios. If you have a very select budget, the first thing you're trying to do, which we already talked about, is where's your demographic? Where are your eyes? So where's your customer base looking? And if it's... You know, if you're say, you know, it's it's kind of a cliche, but if you're trying to go with an older demographic, sometimes certain sure. radio programs work really, really well. So even though some people would say radio is a dying platform, it's not for very specific targeted demographics. So that goes to print advertising, too. Most time, like I would never start a consumer magazine. It's really, really tough to do a consumer magazine for our industry. Even there's some really good one out, really good ones out there. But it's hard because you have such a wider audience with so many different diverse backgrounds and settings. My job is really easy because I'm going towards one super hyper targeted group, and that's people that make alcohol. So my job is really easy. So that print value still exists. But if you're just trying to go out to a much broader demographic, that makes it really rough and your ad dollar doesn't go as far. Can we can we talk about a specific TV ad? Please. All right. If we have to edit it out, I'm okay with that, I guess. Tin Cup Whiskey. They have a TV ad? Like a full... I haven't Dude, seen it. Yeah, they do. It's like it's like mountain whiskey. Whiskey you know, it's funny. We'll, we'll... And a man on a mountain drinking on the edge of a mountain. By so a they're, fire, going, they're going after the, the banquet audience. Just not, just not oh, as Oh, yeah. Well. It's like, which, whatever. I like course. Yeah, banquet. and that ad is um, great. <laughs> Coors Banquet on a mountain, <laughs> by a mountain, on the edge of a mountain, drinking. That's a pretty uh, solid ad. What, what you just yeah, did. Yeah, I would definitely yeah, buy I don't know that, that I love. I love I'm, really, I'm, I'm really selling my own product here, right? Like, you I would well buy done. this, yeah. Wait, have you not seen it? Have you not no. seen it? God because it. none of us watch TV. Yeah, I only listen I don't to either. radio. That, t- that says a lot. <laughs> I saw it a long time ago, and Tim Russell actually pointed it out to me. He's like, mountain whiskey. He's like... That's just from Indiana. Where are yeah. the mountains? Yeah, right. Like, yeah. It's so crazy because they have such a big distillery, and then yet they, you know, I mean, I guess I get it, but you'd think they could produce that. Where is there? It's Stranahan's. Oh, that's Stranahan's yeah. tin cup. Yeah. Uh-huh. Tin cup is Stranahan's. Yeah. So yeah, they have mountain of- whiskey. Mountain. Well, then, you know what? All right. So they, there's another. Okay, I didn't know that. See, because I, I don't really drink either of those. No, no, nothing against them, but I just don't. It's because you're not um, on a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> not on yeah. a mountain drinking mountain whiskey with other See, mountain See, they know men. their demographic, don't they? Doing mountain stuff. And any second, this turns into <laughs> Breakback Mountain. Right? Like, <laughs> we all know what mountain stuff is. <laughs> yeah. yeah we mountain, do. Doing mountain stuff with other mountain dudes. Uh, it's in the word mountain. <laughs> You've gone too far. So I like that what you're saying this. So here I didn't know this. So there's another marketing aspect of it. And, you know, Beam does this a ton. Like, I, I'm certain there was a significant amount of time where people didn't know Knob Creek was Jim Beam, right? It had a premium price, an older age, and it was a different liquid with a different name, right? Uh, Knob Creek. So I think that, you know, do you make a brand that's like, you know, you know, if you have Christensen Distillery, right? 
But all of a sudden, you come out with Zeno whiskey for mountain dudes on a mountain. From a mountain yeah. in the bayou. Well, and, I th- and it's like totally right. different from what, you know, right? It's That's also a technique that I've seen. Yeah, and you see that with a lot of the legacy brands in Kentucky is they have separate branding that doesn't necessarily tie back to Jim Beam or Heaven Hill or whatever it is because they're trying to come up with, you know, they're not trying to compete against each other to a certain degree. They're trying to set up market segments. And especially when a lot of them were in the, you know, they had those value brands, they had some of those lower tier prices that they didn't want to cannibalize that and confuse their own consumer base. So they would come up with a whole secondary brand that wasn't tied back to them specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about that ad really fell flat because you guys haven't seen it. <laughs> right. Well, and if you think about it, yeah, we would theoretically be that market segment. So they're not marketing well again. to us. So, well, it, maybe they're marketing well, but maybe their distribution channels suck. So that's the other thing is you can have a really good marketing message, but if your distribution channel for that marketing message isn't good, if you're just throwing it out on Facebook, but you're not, maybe you're not targeting your keywords very, really well, or you're just putting it on your website, but you're not coming up on the Google search high enough. If you're not on the you know first page of Google uh, web search, it's it's wasted, you know, that. That's not going to do you any good. And then also, again, we'll come back to you know print advertising and billboards, things like that. If you're if you have too diverse of an audience, and you're throwing it out and say GQ magazine, um, maybe that's not the best magazine you should be advertising in for your market demographic. Maybe you need Mountain Men or you know whatever the hell actually you know Guns and Ammo, something like that. You have to target what you're doing. So here's a chip. here's a free bit of advice for you, listener. Um, you know, if you really wanted to, here's a great target. If you could get that like 10 second ad you have to watch on Pornhub <laughs> before you get to the actual I video. can't imagine how expensive <laughs> that is though, right? Like, Yeah, seriously though. Think about it. Well, no, no. Like, I mean, I'm making That's a good. joke. I'm making a joke, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness the porn industry, the porn industry pushes forward technology. If it was, you know, affordable. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, be like mountain whiskey. Look at this sex. <laughs> like, I, I don't know where I was going with that. That's mountain terrible. sex. But, I'm actually like, really glad you brought yeah. that up though, because and this may totally redirect our entire conversation. So if we need to table this, I'm fine with it. But the whole idea of sex doesn't sell in craft is something, and part of this might be in my own bias. I don't want sex to sell in craft. You know, we go to the consumer shows, and you usually see really educated brand ambassadors or the actual producers there. It's not necessarily, and this is not to knock, you know, the, the brand girls or the, you know, the attractive ladies pouring drinks. That's, that's fine. That's a demographic. Why do they have to be ladies? It's 2018. Because of market demographics, man. (laughs) Right. You're making the mountain. No, because the mountain men are already there. (laughs) So when we're talking about like building a brand, I personally find it, very annoying when we see a brand that has a label with like some drawing of a hot sexy lady or they're trying to push that like sex appeal side it totally falls flat i think and maybe i'm wrong on that but that feels like kind of an antiquated way to sell of using sex for crap. i don't what think do you you're think? wrong is, is that accurate or is that i don't think you're bias? wrong when you go to those shows and you do see the brand girls the labels on those brands aren't pictures of you know, sexy ladies or, or, you know, hairy mountain men. They're just, you know, normal labels and they're just, they have right. the money to, you know, fund 15 brand girls per booth or whatever it is. And no. Yeah. It, you're right. But I guess what Brian is saying is that's less prevalent in the craft arena. And I could see that. And yes, that's how I feel about it too. I'm biased too. Like, I don't give a fuck if you're super hot, male, female. Yeah, your wet solvents you know. better be good. Yeah, yeah, confused animal. Well, not, it's not even that. Like, be passionate about what you're talking about it and know about what you're talking about. Right? Like, that's the biggest thing is be genuine. And when you're all dolled up, male, female, whatever you are, if you have to do that, then there's something not genuine about it. Like, like if I will, will sniff it out and... 
most I feel like most consumers will. If you're not genuine about your message, right. people will get that. That comes off pretty quickly. And I think that's a slippery slope with marketing because, I mean, it is marketing. We, you are trying to sell something, but you're trying to do it in a genuine way. Like, I'm selling this because I believe in it. I'm selling this because I have a huge bulge in my pants or... <laughs> giant tits is like right like and i want to sell this to make money i'm like okay cool great i'm going to look at said bulge or breast and then move along to liquid that you know i really believe in or someone else is really hustling right and i don't know if this is a like this is correlation i don't know that it's actual causation in this case but you can look at something like anheuser-busch inbev where for the longest time bud light budweiser that's how it was sold right you know you would have tons of commercials during the Super Bowl and football games that were primarily focused on, you know, girls in bikinis, mm-hmm. right? Frat parties, those kind of concepts. But you've seen Anheuser-Busch year after, you know, year over year dropping market share. Now, granted, there's a whole lot more to that in terms of craft competition, but it seems like a lot of craft beers don't focus on the sex appeal. They focus on the quality of the product, you know, and I would like to hope that that has also translated over to the spirit side, even more so to a certain degree. Again, I could be completely wrong on that. And as they drop market share, we've seen their advertisements change, right? Oh, absolutely. Dilly dilly. Dilly, yeah, there you go. Well said. Yeah, dilly dilly. And and it's catchy, and you know what? I don't give a shit. Like, it's it's annoying, but guess what? Everyone knows exactly what the Mm -hmm. hell I'm talking about when I say Mm -hmm. that. My question, though, is is that too little too late now? Are they still missing out? Is it is that an inevitable tide that even marketing can't save? We're getting into out, beer world wait, now, so maybe you're, they're missing out on a liquid that has any distinguishable characteristic that is. Yeah, that's can that's be a that's a dry solvent right good. there. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. I mean, there that's not go. true. That doesn't have characteristic. It does. It's just none of it's good. It's just here is this thing. As, as far as science and production goes, it's a beautiful product. But like, and apologies to my one friend at Anheuser Busch and Bev. I still love you. But. I have lots of friends at Anheuser Busch and Bev, but I can guarantee you they don't listen to Still Talk. <laughs> no, like, they, no. they are because not listening. One, well, because one Karen told us they weren't. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. That's right. Yeah. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, you know, if they knew I was doing anything, they would stay away from it. Uh, <laughs> that is the entire theme of yeah. Zeno's life. That's why, that's why they don't yeah. go hiking uh, on the mountain anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one mountain. That one time Carl got too drunk and fell off the edge. <laughs> it's Carl's fault. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've gone over an hour now. Should we wrap it up and do some uh, final thoughts? Oh, there's that grumble. We know it's the end. Final Final thoughts. thoughts. I've talked a lot this episode, so I'm not going to say much more, but uh, I think we've touched on at the very beginning. You have to have some sort of marketing plan. I mean, again, we've said that so many episodes, and I know we're just beating a dead horse at this point, but even though you can get a lot of distance out of free marketing with social media and all of those avenues you still have to have a budget you have to have a plan figure out what your demographic is but throw some money at it because if you don't i mean you're not going to go far you've got to throw some money at marketing you have to do it don't don't waste it be very thoughtful be you know be very strategic with it get some help get some consultants whatever you think you need but have a marketing budget don't just spend every dollar on equipment is exciting and as tempting as that can be that will lead you to a long-term failure yeah and i i would say adding to that is is keep your marketing focused too don't just don't just go all over the place and try to hit every demographic i guess you know we touched on at the beginning is pick your demographic and then kind of laser focus that's who you want to sell to don't don't try to sell to you know the AM radio listeners and the Spotify users all in one shot. Yeah. Give it all to artists and yeah. spirit magazine. That's what you need to do. That's, that's the, key. but do listen to still talking well, as, on AM radio and Spotify, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, as someone who's an AM listener and a Spotify user, yeah, I'm actually, Oh, I'm both things. of those things. Um, <laughs> I was like, when you say user, I totally think of drug use at that point, the way you just grumble it out. I'm a user. I'm a user of Spotify. I chew it up and spit it out. Trying to kick the habit. Yeah. Um, 
I, I agree with you, Brian, and I'm glad, yeah, you talked a lot in this one because we kind of, this, yeah, this is a Brian-centric episode. This is what I lean on your, I'm going to use this word loosely, expertise. Um, yeah, that sounds gross. Don't say that. Yeah. But, you can I say mean, lean on me anytime. Though. Yeah. <laughs> on a mountain. Um, <laughs> I think that the biggest thing is definitely have a plan. No, it can be a passion project. Like, yes, I'm finally doing this. I'm living my dream or you know what, I've been doing this forever and I joined a new place or I have a real opportunity here and other people will take care of the marketing. All I say is if you're genuine, I think it goes a long way. At least with me, it does. So, I mean, I might buy something off of you if I believe that you're genuine about it. Even if I don't even care for the product in a way that like I'm not going to drink bourbon cream every day or ever for that fact. But like if it's decent and you believe in it, I'll probably buy it and say, hey, man, thanks. This is interesting. And I'll tell someone the time that I had it and I talked to you. Well said. Perfect. All right. That's it. Uh, another uh, episode. Listen to us on AM radio. Find our commercial on Hulu and uh, share it with your friends. I think we just got a, a 37 second spot on Crackle. So you can see us there. Oh, <laughs> Crackle. <laughs>